3: So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
1: They are Sports Illustrated. It's amazing. this incredible body of work. I really appreciate the integrity. Everything you do is well done.
2: You guys do a great job. We love it. What
1: can we say? He's Chris Maddox. He's
4: employed by Sports Illustrated.
1: The announcer's got it in for me. There you go. This is the Crossover NBA Podcast. If you have a problem with it, build a team that can beat them. Hosted by the one and only. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Chris Mannix. All right.
4: Welcome back. Another episode of the Crossover Podcast. Uh, second bubble edition episode. I am here in Orlando inside the bubble. Uh, the first official week where media members can... Walk around, go to practices. I wrote a little bit about it on SI.com earlier this week. You can check out that story and uh, be writing a lot over the next uh, month plus, if you will. Maybe longer, depending how long I'm inside this bubble. Uh, Just a lot of interesting things going on and a lot of things to talk about as we kind of head towards the first scrimmages this week and the resumption of the regular season on July 3rd. To talk about that and much more, bring in one of my bubble mates here, Mark Medina, Great writer over at USA Today. Uh, he is somewhere here on this campus. We can't record these in person, Mark, because we're still technically not allowed to be, you know, within, you know, six feet of each other. But that feels like more of a, you know, suggestion rather than the rule at this point.
5: Yeah, I guess if we were to do it in person, we would have to wear the credential with the beeper, and that would cause all these audio issues because that would go off. My, at least my. First time at media availability to practice, it felt like every other second it was going off. And I remarked to an NBA PR staffer. I said, thank God they're not giving us these like electrical pricks. Every time we violate the social distancing norms, because it would just be a mess after that.
4: Well, it was strange that first night uh, you were there at the pool. The NBA had kind of a media social for the first night out of, uh, of quarantine. And we're all kind of sitting there. We're all wearing the beepers. They're all fully charged. And, you know, conversations were abruptly halted by the sound of beep beep, beep 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 it's just like a truck backing up you know when you're in the middle of of a conversation but look i i don't blame the nba i mean you better safe than sorry is their mantra down here and you know given the stakes and all this i mean they've got to take as many precautions as possible right
5: oh without a doubt and you know, I, I think for at least my comfort level going into this trip, a lot of it had to do with the fact that look, nothing is risk-free in this world right now. But I think the NBA, for the most part, has done all it's could for its preparation. Once I got down here, I felt like it reconfirmed all that because, you know, for the players that went out of the bubble inadvertently, they held those guys accountable. The the safety protocols for all of us are very extensive. So even if there is a feeling of groundhogs day of, you know, getting tested every day and when we were in quarantine, the three meals outside your door, you know, what I kept in perspective of look, there's a lot, you know, worse things going on. So I'm just grateful I'm in this position. But B, it showed that, you know, the NBA has dotted its I's and crossed all its Ts to make sure that they have the best chance to pull this off.
4: Yeah, and look, I think a lot of their rules that are in place right now are written in pencil more than they are in pen. I mean, the, the the situation where players can't go to another team's hotel. Like, I don't think that rule is going to last much longer than this week. Uh, I understand why it's in place now, but once these guys start scrimmaging against each other and they're having contact with each other on the floor, I think the NBA is going to relax some of those restrictions. And I think a lot of players... Will appreciate that. I had that conversation with Fred Van Vliet uh, with Toronto just the other day. And I think there are a lot of players like that that would like to interact with players on other teams. I mean, whether it's an ex teammate that's somewhere else, a friend that's somewhere else, I mean, they would like to have these restrictions loosened so that they can, you know, spend some time with other people.
5: Yeah. I think a lot of it really depends on the success rate. And so far, so good. I mean, I was encouraging news with, you know, the NBA announcing this week that there were set a zero positive cases since last week um, but I, I've tried to remind myself look it's way too early to proclaim a victory lap by any means because this is going to go on to what October 13th the last possible day for the NBA finals so even if the NBA has all these well thought out plans and they are flexible as you pointed out and can etch things in pencil um, to either loosen things up or restrict them just this pandemic has had a life of its own and when you're talking you know, this is going to go on for two plus months. A lot of things could happen for better and for worse.
4: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, players who seem to be, you know, finding stuff to do right now, whether it's fishing or, uh, you know, working out in their room, like doing different things, like that's going to pass. Like you're going to get bored and, you know, be looking for something to do. That's why I think it is important when we get past that first round for those teams that are still around to get their friends and family inside the bubble like they're going to need uh you know, some kind of a burst of energy and that's going to be provided by by friends and family. I'm curious to see what some of the younger guys do. Like do they ask for like a 2 week pass for a quote friend to come in for to hang yeah. out in the bubble or do they bring friends with them? I mean I that's that's going to be an interesting thing to watch when we get past that first round. But for now it seems like guys are are managing but we are just you know a week plus uh, into all this. Tell me about your first uh, few days here in the bubble. Was it what you expected? Was there any surprises? I mean, what did you like? What did you dislike about, you know, the media experience inside the bubble?
5: You know, I was I was expecting what I've seen so far, that it would be surreal just seeing practices at a ballroom and then going to these different facilities or venues that were more, more appropriate for practices. So I think my first day, I wasn't surprised that there was going to be this – mix of excitement of a first day of school, first day of training camp feel, but then this weird tentativeness. When I was at the Lakers and the Rockets practice, you know, they opened up. I felt a little gun shy like, hey, where should I be standing? Am I in the right place? And I wanted to see whatever I could on the court. And then that awkwardness of, we know six feet is the requirement for social distancing, but, you know, it's not like we're bringing out measuring tape with that. It's all feel. So, you know, there was this, awkwardness for group scrums of how much distance should there be and I remember when you know I was part of the interview scrum with LeBron James uh, a few reporters and I felt like we were doing the social distancing because we're used to how just very compact it is for LeBron in normal circumstances when you have what like 30 reporters. And when the interview ended, the NBA said, hey, look, like you guys need to spread out even more. They even started marking duct tape as like assigned spaces that we could stand in. Um, You know, there were some other logistical uh, hiccups where, you know, as you know, Chris, before these in-person practice interviews were taking place, we all had to log into Zoom and, you know, raise our hand and know how to unmute and mute. And we were still being told, even if we're there at practice, we still needed to log into Zoom so that the moderator could see us raising the hand because the moderator is not there in person. But then that created all these audio issues that the NBA PR staff members quickly pivoted and said, you know what, just raise your hand in person. I'll relay to the moderator. So I was expecting all those weird small messes, but I think it was just cool to be able to see basketball for one. So It seemed like such a thing that I took for granted you know, being on the beat day to day and you go to a shoot around or a practice every day, you get used to it. But there was a novelty of just seeing that exist again.
4: Yeah, and I I love the first few days. Like I haven't done or I haven't asked for too many one-on-ones yet with players. But I look, you're not going to get LeBron. You're not going to get Anthony Davis. You're probably not going to get Giannis. But like everybody else, it seems like it's on the table. Like I've had a pretty good uh, reaction from PR staff. They've asked me, like, what do you need? Do you need somebody? And I've kind of wrote the first couple of days, like the scene. I went to I think four practices on on Monday. Uh, tried to go to five, but blew the Oklahoma City one in the morning. That was a epic fail on my part. But like the Matt
5: Tumbleson's uh feelings hurt.
4: Yeah, yeah. I got a text from well, it's funny, like to go even deeper in the weeds, like the practice schedule says nine to twelve and on day one, I'm like, all right, I'll get there about quarter to twelve. I got a text from Matt Tumbleson at like eleven AM being like you here? I'm like, no, no. One. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I thought we were out of twelve. So you learn pretty quickly. Like there's a lot. I mean, God, I was I was wandering around looking for the bus stop, looking for the walking path to get to one of the practice facilities. I mean, it takes like I was thinking just this morning, I was record this on Wednesday morning. Like, I have just figured out how to get from my room to the testing room without, you know, getting lost in a maze of of wrong turns. Like it. It's a weird setup here because it's kind of like a bunch of big circles that you're in, and it's tough to navigate. I just figured out on day three the most direct path to get to the test room. But I'll, I'll tell you, the 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 practices have been great. Like you know, getting access to these guys um, in small group settings has felt pretty valuable so far. I think it's going to get only get more valuable. Yeah, I was. I don't know about you, but I was worried coming down here. Would it be worth the cost? I mean, our outlets are paying a premium to get us into this space. It's certainly much appreciated, and you want to provide value, you know, for your outlet when you're down here. But I was worried a little bit, like, what kind of you know acts will we get? Would it be worth it? And based on what we've seen in practice, and based on, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but what the arena looks like, I think there's pretty high value in being down here and being a part of all this.
5: I wholeheartedly agree. And look, we're all shooting our shots of interviews and ideas, and we're probably dealing with a low shooting percentage because of the logistics here. But if nothing else, just being able to see it firsthand, that helps give us the perspective of how the NBA is running this thing. Number one, number two, you know, I was among a a few writers and I think you were there as well, where we saw a glimpse of what the early game operations will be like at the arena. Uh, that's still subject to change, but just having that perspective helps. And then, you know, it sounds weird because you'd like to have these prolonged interviews, but I think especially as time goes on, the fact that coaches can at least just see us in person, players see us in person, I think that'll go a long way. And, you know, I think in the times that we're in, even though we all have our own jobs to do, the, the feeling that I got once I got down here is everyone in their own, you know, respective party has this feeling of, Hey, we're all in this together. Like there are things that aren't going to work out or things that get rescheduled, but everyone seems to have all the good intentions into trying to make it worth our time and vice versa. And I think for a larger, you know, standpoint of just making this whole operation work. So I'm pretty excited, you know, not only to see basketball, it's been a long time, but to be a part of this because I think there's a lot of interesting stories to tell firsthand.
4: All right, so let's talk about the arena. We both got our first look at what the main arena looks like on Tuesday. There are three arenas down here where games are going to be held, and the setup is the same in all three. The NBA has got uh, a freshly designed court, the NBA logo in the middle. Uh, The phrase Black Lives Matter is imprinted uh, in large letters across center court by the scorer's table. And I was curious about what the NBA would do about the empty seats, there really aren't any. There are big giant screens in front of the crowd section, in front of the stands on one side. The other side of the stands, you do have some seating there for broadcasts, for media that's in the first tier like us, for media that's in the second tier that's going to be coming, sitting up in the uh, the upper deck, which isn't a bad seat, by the way, for media members that might be listening to this. It's not a terrible seat. It's not like you're in the upper deck of Madison Square Garden. It's like you're in the upper deck of uh, – a like a high school arena in, in some ways. Um, it, it looks pretty cool. I mean, there's some stuff the NBA is certainly tinkering with, about how to introduce crowd noise, how to introduce an interactive experience with fans. But I walked out of that arena, Mark, thinking this this could be a pretty, pretty cool setup and could be and will be a, a unique experience for these guys.
5: Yeah, I, I came away with a really good impression. I mean, the most important thing is the basketball court's the same, the basket's the same, so... That doesn't change. But as far as all the dimensions, I think that they did as good of a job as they could to make up for the reality that there's no fans. And, you know, I, I I was told a few months ago when the whole idea of Orlando being this site for the resumed season that logistically it wouldn't be as big of a deal to have the games in these venues without fans because the capacity crowd for these events are in, like, eight to ten thousand that's much different than an NBA arena so I think that makes it a little easier for the NBA to kind of camouflage of putting the, the giant screens and then in certain sections of empty seats just it's very dark lighting you can't even see it when you're watching on TV but the other takeaway I had is it just reinforced how seriously they're taking all the safety protocols I mean the bench, that each individual bench is six feet away and You know, they're having plexiglass on the scores table. Uh, I I believe they're having plexiglass for the announcers table as well. Um, So it just reinforces like they're looking at every little nook and cranny of, okay, how do we maximize safety here um, while also somehow pulling off having games?
4: It is weird to see, as you mentioned, like each seat on the bench, there's an assigned seat for each player, and they are separated by, I believe, six feet. It's a little weird to see – players who are out there on the floor you know banging into each other and you know once the you know once the mask is off here so to speak like it's off like you know the you pulled the ripcord already on interacting with guys like it's a little weird to see a not normal bench out there but look I guess that's something also I think could evolve in time as as this thing moves forward but it was it was a pretty it was a pretty cool setup and I'm curious to see like you know which teams are more affected than not? You know, there are some questions directed at Danny Green at Lakers practice the other day about you know, how shooters are affected. I mean, you know, shooters, you know, there are different light setups in different buildings, but, you know, the, the sight lines could be really unique. I mean, will be really unique in a situation like this, because if there are, you know, whether it's pictures of fans on the screen or just bright neon lights behind the, the backboard, I mean, that could, you know, potentially have an impact on how these games are played.
5: Yeah, and I think, you know, the, obvious, the other obvious part of this is just how everyone copes with no fans. I mean, a lot of the players that I've talked to on the Zoom calls they acknowledge they're so used to feeding off the fans to, you know, get cheers and adrenaline when they're not playing well and vice versa. They're used to handling that sort of pressure. So it seems like a lot of the benches are being instructed to be like the de facto cheerleaders of trying to muster up some other energy and then the coaches are kind of on the other end of the spectrum frank Vogel was saying on a conference call the other day when i asked him about this as he was saying look i'm so used to in playoff games having to yell out plays because no one can hear me and here because the tv feed's gonna pick it up other coaches from the other team can hear and other players i feel inclined to whisper uh those play calls but it seems to me that at least after the first two, three days, all those things will be sorted out, and I think that they will adjust fine. I have the larger question of how are the teams going to adapt to just getting their conditioning up to speed, the rustiness, getting the timing down, and that seems like it's going to be an ongoing process.
4: Yeah, I mean, we're going to learn more about that part of of the players when we get to see these scrimmages firsthand starting uh, midweek. Um, I have the same question. Like right now we're in that like everything is awesome phase. Like everyone's in great shape. I, I have not heard, you know, I haven't talked to every team, but I've not heard from one team about like some guy that's just completely out of shape that, that you'll be that'll be exposed some in the scrimmages and certainly when you get into the seeding games, like that will be interesting to see. The other part of you know, the arena experience, I wrote about this last week is the uh you know, the referee interaction. Like yeah. and Scott Scott Brooks said this uh the other day where He's like you know. I think it was maybe it was Vogel actually. Uh, you know, assistant coaches get away with a lot. You know, sitting on the sidelines, like they curse out referees too, is don't get hurt because the crowd blends. You know, their their reactions in. Got to be careful there. And, and talking to Monty McCutcheon, the the VP of referees, like he acknowledged that referees are going to have to you know pull back a little bit on some of their reactions. They hear something that may not be. I believe his words were grammatically correct. You've <laughs> you've got to you've got to kind of you know ease off a little bit like some of the respect for the game rules are still going to be in place right you can't run up to a referee and stomp your feet at him you can't run up to a referee and clap your hands in front of him or do something demonstrative with uh emotion but if you you know say mf bullshit or something like that if you start you know uh if you say something that you just as a reaction referee is going to have to i think go a little easier. Also, we're going to see a run on technical fouls like never seen before. Like, you're going to have assistant coaches tossed on a regular basis if referees, you know, hold these guys to the same uh, standard they had during the regular season.
5: Yeah, I'm really curious how this whole setup's going to like affect behavior modification. Like Alvin Gentry the other day, the Pelicans coach was saying, because the live mics are going to pick up on everything, I'm going to be very polite to the officials to show that I'm the good guy. So you wonder will it be the under other, other end where you're going to see coaches try to apply so much gamesmanship and maybe be either passive aggressive or effusive with praise to try to like win the officials over at the beginning of the game. Uh, but then it just seems inevitable. Emotions are emotions, especially late in the game that you feel like it's inevitable that we're going to see some sort of fireworks that, you know, the TV feeds will pick up on. And, and that's where I'm curious on where, the NBA and the broadcast partners draw the line of what's fair play or not. I mean, I think on one hand, this would be a great recipe for more access because there's no fans. You can hear everything. The NBA wants to promote, you know, their product during this time to partly to recoup those financial losses. But I would imagine that the coaches and players have feelings that they want some of those sanctities to be protected. I remember, it was in the 2018 NBA playoffs when the TNT feed caught Warriors coach Steve Kerr talking to Kevin Durant about trusting his teammates and bringing up his experience playing with Michael Jordan and how he learned that. That was writing's gold. I loved it, but Steve Kerr was upset that got out. So was Kevin Durant, unsurprisingly. And you wonder, you know, what have been the conversations with those partners on what's fair play or not?
4: Yeah, that'll be interesting. I'm sure there'll be a delay no matter what on these broadcasts. I I know there is a delay on these broadcasts that to prevent, you know, too many curse words from getting out uh, onto the air. But yeah, that's that's always the that's always a tough needle to thread because you want to show something interesting, but you don't want to show something that's going to get a team or a coach or a player upset at you. It's like what happened with Sam Darnold, you know, during the football season where he said, I'm seeing ghosts everywhere. Like that was great content, but you know the Jets, Sam Donald. The time we're not all that thrilled. So it'll be a fine line that broadcasters, I'm sure, uh, will have to walk. Uh, walk. Let's talk for a second about what I think is the most interesting team out here, and that's Portland because you know they have become like the sexy pick, not just to make the playoffs, but to advance in the playoffs, and that would likely mean they would have to beat the Lakers in the first round. Uh, I know Charles Barkley, as in his infinite wisdom, come out and said the Blazers. If they're in the playoffs, we'll knock off the Lakers. Uh, Danny Green has said that, you know, we don't want to play Portland in the first round. That's the team that we don't want to touch. And I get that. I mean, just before the the pandemic hit, uh, you know, during the Kobe night at uh, Staples Center, I mean, Damian Lillard went off in that game. I mean, that guy is a straight assassin in the postseason. CJ McCollum is a scorer. The Lakers just lost two guards, including, you know, one of, if not the, their best defensive guard, and Avery Bradley, and you throw in the great unknown that is Yusuf Nurkic and Zach Collins. Like These guys were not playing before the pandemic hit, and now they're back, and presumably full members of that Blazers rotation. So how seriously should we take the Blazers, not just as a team that can make the playoffs. Right now, they're three and a half games behind Memphis. The Grizzlies did just lose Justice Winslow. That's a big loss for them uh, moving forward. But not, not just to make the playoffs, but maybe just upset the apple cart completely and, th- and beat the Lakers in the first round.
5: I feel like everything's on the table. Uh, and with Portland, you know, Damien Lillard's always good for not only just getting a consistent 25 and night, but a game where he goes off for 40, right? Apparently Carmel Anthony's slimmed down. I mean, we have to take all these things for what it's worth. Cause we have to see what that means for conditioning, but that's at least an encouraging sign that he's taking care of himself. They have their front court coming back. If I had to take a guess, though, I still have the Lakers winning the first round against Portland. I felt that even though I think everything's on the table because this is just a very screwed up set of circumstances, I'm hesitant to rank teams depth charts with injuries only because I feel like that's going to happen every day where there's a new injury that comes into play. So as long as you know the star guys are still there, they're still going to be the favorites, right? Um, but where I think those depth charts go into play is with this playoff race, you know, between Memphis, between New Orleans, Portland, Sacramento. I mean, it seems like Sacramento should just, you know, kind of call it cold here. I mean, they've been having a lot of, of uh, you know, challenges to open this season, and, and the news with Marvin Bagley being out for the, for the rest of the resumed season. But I think for the larger contenders. I wouldn't rule out an upset, but until one of those star guys, something happens dramatically to them, I would still go chalk, at least in those early rounds.
4: Yeah, Portland got, look, they got a bit of a gift. It just seems like the basketball gods are trying to get the Blazes into the playoffs, right? Like Sacramento, as you mentioned, whether it's Bagley being done, De'Aaron Fox with the injury, uh, they're starting to get gutted out there. Uh, the Pelicans still have no idea when Zion Williamson is going to come back. And when he comes back, how long is his quarantine going to be? Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's curious the NBA doesn't really have an answer for that because it is spelled out in that 113-page memo that when you have a medical absence, if you're being tested, it's a four-day quarantine. But you know, when I asked the NBA for specifics on Zion's return protocols, it, it still is murky for... For their part, Um, so you got that. The Spurs aren't really a threat at this point. Uh, Phoenix just happy to be here, probably. Like it's just like it's being kind of set up that you know you get into a play in situation against Memphis, and you know Justice Winslow isn't the engine that drives that team, but he's a part of it. And you know you're asking John Morant to to do a lot in a series like that against the Blazers, having to face off with two of the best guards in the league. So I think it's being set up nicely to get that first round matchup between the Blazers. And the Lakers, and look, uh, my head says you're right that the Lakers stars will carry the day. And if this was, you know, mid March, I'd probably fully believe that because LeBron was playing great, AD was playing great. You know, the Lakers were rolling. They beat the Bucks. They beat the Clippers. But I don't know what kind of condition those guys are going to come back in. And, and look, we can poo-poo the absence of Bradley and Rondo but it puts a lot more pressure on LeBron. Like he's going to be asked to be even more of a ball handler. He's going to ask to be maybe even more of a defender against a Lillard or a McCollum in a situation like that. You simply can't, you know, roll Alex Caruso and J.R. Smith and Dion Waiters into that slot opposite Danny Green and expect them to, you know, provide the highest of level defenses. So I think this is, I mean, I let's put it this way. If, as we kind of, Put in our requests for first round matchups, I'm going Lakers Blazers as often as they'll let me. Like, I am all in on that first round matchup. If that happens, so
5: even if even if Zion Williamson uh comes back in time for this, you wouldn't want Pelicans Lakers.
4: No, because I don't look the Pelicans like I think they'd just be happy to be there too. Like, it's like Zion great, you get to see the Zion show for like four or five games, but I don't think they're a real threat to the Lakers. The Blazers are a real threat, like that's a, yeah. an experienced playoff team, and you know, just watching it again, we. We get into practices. But we get in the last 15 minutes. We don't see much more than one-on-ones and you know some individual drills. But you know, watching Zach Collins, he looks okay. I mean, he you know, and that's a guy that was vital to that team's success uh, last year. So I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm fascinated by it. I'd probably still pick the Lakers, but I mean, imagine if the Lakers lost Game One, like if they if they put themselves in an 0-1 hole against that team. I mean, that's that's a tough one to climb out of.
5: Uh, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, I, I I slightly disagree that I'm still rooting for Pelicans just because of the storylines of Zion, Pelicans-Lakers first-round matchup just because of Zion, Anthony Davis seeing the former team, you know, the, the Pelicans-Young core were all former Lakers. But I think you can't go wrong with either. Like, they are fascinating across the board. And I think when you're looking at this whole league, it seems like there's going to be like three tiers of – kind of teams that we're going to be seeing which will make for this weird disjointed mess where you'll have like the championship contending tier of teams that are trying to toe the line of look they're not going to be like sitting their guys during these games because they're trying to rev them up you know their engines up since they've been in the garage since March but they're not going full blast 40 minutes a night because there's no real home court implications and I think mathematically the Lakers are going to have the one seat anyway because they're five and a half Game's over. But then you're going to have like that second tier of Portland, New Orleans, uh, Memphis, whoever else could sneak into the playoffs where the games might look ugly because uh, they're out of shape, but it's just competitive and you just see everyone's heart being thrown into it. And then that third tier where, you know, your guy kind of Scott Brooks of the Wizards and like the Phoenix Suns and the Spurs, like, I don't know what incentivizes those teams to really show up. I mean, they can say, oh yeah, we're trying to build habits for next season. But I mean, hey, we don't even know when next season will be. I mean, they say tentatively December, but that's all up in the air. And I just don't see, because of what's going on in the world, that they want to be more inclined to think, hey, let's just get the hell out of here in one piece.
4: Yeah, I mean, in talking to Scott Brooks last week, I think there's a lot of value for his young guys to get to the playoffs. And they don't have to worry about Bradley Beal playing X number of minutes. Uh, Davis Bertans playing X number of minutes. The guys that are here are going to play big minutes for them. So I could see them you know, maybe doing a couple of interesting things to get into the playoffs or at least get into a play-in situation uh, with the Nets, but that's just – it's. We don't even need to talk about the back of the Eastern Conference. It's just not competitive at all. Milwaukee, whoever they play, is going to get a nice, easy cakewalk into that second round, a nice long break uh, before they go into uh, a second-round matchup.
1: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my! Look at that! He is...
4: voting the league awards are going to be based on just what we've already seen. Like nothing over the next eight games that are played are going to be factored in to the NBA awards, which has kickstarted the LeBron versus Giannis MVP debates. Giannis checks a lot of statistical boxes. You can make an argument and the bucks would that he's defensive player of the year. Um, do you think there's a, a a debate here? Do you think that this is a race that is ultimately going to be close uh, for MVP?
5: I think it's going to be close, and I don't think that there's necessarily a wrong answer here because I think that Giannis and LeBron both have equally, I wouldn't say equally, but they have compelling cases, right, where Giannis is clearly the better defender. Uh, there's no debating that. Um, you know he's been able to build off of last year's playoff exit, where you know it, it seems like when I've been at Bucks games and talked to the coaching staff that he's found more ways to navigate through double teams and all the you know coverages that he's getting to still be honest. Um, but I think with LeBron, you know there is a case to be made that not just because at 35 years old, his 17th season, and he's leading the league in assists, but all the extra things that he had to help the Lakers navigate where maybe on paper, it looks like, Hey, it's just T and Anthony Davis rolling the ball out. But there were a lot of new role players that there were question marks on. And I think that you can make the case that LeBron's presence helped bring the better versions of those guys out. Um, you know, Frank Vogel deserves a lot of praise and I think he is a coach of the year candidate probably behind Nick nurse, but you know, LeBron, getting everyone to buy into that went a long way because he, you remember he wasn't the Lakers first coaching staff choice. And it was really weird how that was put together because they were trying to impose which assistance that he should have and all that. And so there was a feeling that going into the season that, you know, how does Frank Vogel get these guys to buy in, which sounds absurd because he had great credentials in Indiana But some of those things trace back to LeBron's leadership uh, as well as, look, the Kobe Bryant tragedy has hit everyone, you know, really hard this in the whole league, but he was a Laker luminary. And there's a lot of behind the scenes people and obviously players that had a tough time getting through all this. And, you know, from what team accounts say he played a large part in helping the team galvanize together. But I don't think there's necessarily a wrong choice. Like, I'm still kind of debating. I've leaned toward LeBron at certain times. I've leaned toward Giannis. Um, But I don't think that if any of those guys get it, that the other person should feel like they got screwed or anything.
4: Yeah, I'm just – I'm not sure how you don't vote for Giannis. I mean, LeBron is a great story, right? Like at 35 years old, to do what he's doing – and I agree with you. It's not just like LeBron, Anthony Davis, nothing else matters. Like Chemistry matters. And LeBron has played an instrumental role in developing and putting this team together really quickly. There are a lot of new faces on this Lakers team. A lot of faces brought back that you know weren't the greatest of players last year with the Lakers. Rajon Rondo hasn't had a great statistical year uh, with the Lakers. So I give LeBron a ton of credit for that. I just, I mean, Giannis' checks so many boxes. I mean, statistically, he is having the kind of year that we haven't seen since, like, Shaq in the early 2000s. Like, he's putting up 30 points per game. What is it? 11, 12 rebounds per game. He's averaging right around six assists. And again, he might be the defensive player of the year. Like, there's, there's a lot of, of, of you know, obvious reasons to vote for Giannis. And look, I went to Laker practice on Tuesday and I asked a few people there, like, give me your best argument for LeBron being MVP. I asked Anthony Davis, and Davis pointed out, you know, exactly what I said. Like, what he's doing at age 35 is remarkable. It's a tremendous story. I'm like, all right, that's that's true, and that's a that, that's a huge part of LeBron's season, but to me, that's not enough to move him past uh, Giannis. I asked Danny Green. Danny Green says, the NBA kind of owes him one. I'm like, well, that's true too. Like, I believe that he's probably been robbed of at least one MVP, uh, but that's not enough of an argument to uh to vote for uh, not vote for Giannis. Frank Vogel had maybe the strongest argument when he was pointed out that LeBron is the quarterback of the offense and defense. He said it was like having Tom Brady offensively and Mike Singletary defensively. I'm not sure why he went with Mike Singletary there, but whatever. Like he, he, he made a strong argument there that LeBron is the glue to everything on that team. No matter how talented Anthony Davis is, LeBron is the glue guy on both ends of the floor. The team just doesn't work without him out there. But that... You know, hearing that, I just did. I didn't hear anything that made me believe that Giannis uh, wasn't worthy of my vote. Now I haven't cast my vote yet, but it's going to be really hard for me not to vote for Giannis and, and his second straight MVP.
5: Is there anything that can help you change your vote or no?
4: I don't know. I mean, like I, I like Giannis, like there's there's no there's really no category. That LeBron eclipsed Giannis in like, yes, he's the leading assist leader, and that's a tremendous accomplishment in and of itself. Uh, But Giannis, the playmaker, too, with that team, the six assists a game is a pretty nice number for, a you know, basically seven foot power forward. Um, I also looked at like, I mean, Giannis, he's got a good team around him and a team that's been together for a while. But I mean, let's compare Giannis' number two to LeBron's. Like it's not even close. Like Chris Middleton's yeah. a nice player, but Anthony Davis is a stud, an all NBA top five talent. So I think that's another kind of check in Giannis's box. I mean, I I've thought long and hard about, you know, finding a way to vote for LeBron. I think he's had this kind of year deserves some kind of recognition, um, you know, in the league award category. But, you know, Giannis isn't giving you any wiggle room there. Like there's no there's no breathing room. You know, to kind of, in my opinion, to kind of, to give anybody but Giannis your vote.
5: Yeah, I'm going to just keep exhausting through all the numbers because when the season, the week before the season ended, it seemed like, you know what, we're going to have a month's worth of clarity because you had those matchups with the Bucks and the Clippers and you felt like both players were starting to get ready for the playoffs and there would be a clear direction of like separation maybe and more clarity of months of data. But now you just feel like when you hit the pause button, where do you go from here? And you lose not only that month's worth of games, but it's literally the rules right now where the NBA is saying we can't bait it's not based off of this resume season. So I've been leaning toward LeBron because of, I think more of the intangibles. And before that I was leaning toward Giannis because of the on court, uh, production that you outline there, but it's, it's a really tough decision. I I don't think, you know, anyone's in the wrong here because uh, the margin between the two is, you know, so close.
4: Yeah. I'm curious what the voting is going to look like. Uh, Our friend Tim Bontemps with ESPN did a straw poll of media members before, or right around when the pandemic hit. And it was overwhelmingly in support of Giannis back then. I wonder if uh, a few months off has changed the minds of anybody and, you know, it does her. I agree with you. It does hurt LeBron that there wasn't that month plus to sway some voters because the Lakers were playing great. Uh, Giannis was battling kind of a knee thing at that point, so maybe he would have sat out some games or coasted all the way to the finish. So that might have, you know, moved moved me anyway. That might have given me more reason to vote for LeBron. But at, at this point, I just. I mean, he is just a dominant player, man. Like, he is just a utterly dominant player. And if you talk about guys that are the engines for their teams, like, that team doesn't work without Giannis. You've got Giannis out there, and more often than not, like, four shooters. You know, when you throw Brook Lopez at the five spot. Like, you just, you're surrounding, you, you built the entire team around one player, and that guy delivers every single night. So, I'll be curious to see what that that voting looks like. Uh, Mark, appreciate your time, man. I will socially distance see you at the uh, scrimmages this afternoon and the rest of the week as we maybe start to get a little bit of clarity on uh, what these teams look like and what they're going to look like when the season resumes on July 30th.
5: That, Chris, sounds uh, like a plan. And I'll tell you what, I've been enjoying every day of this, but I I will admit that it started to feel like Groundhog Day. When we got in this morning for our test, I felt like, that same day had happened the day before. And so I'm just gearing up for rinse and repeat.
4: Oh, it's, it's going to be like that. We're going to have to find different ways to, to make it mixed up because (laughs) it's, I've, I've settled into a routine out here where it's wake up, uh, try to get my testing done very early in the morning and then, uh, go about my day. But it's, uh, I mean, look, it is fun to hit four practices in one day and hopefully do a lot of that as this thing uh, this thing continues, man. So, Mark, I'll see you out there, man. Thanks for joining me.
5: Hey, thanks for having me. See you soon.